Right, first question. Okay, go there first. Hi. Um, <coughs> how do you prepare a sermon? Outside of what you said this morning, say you're preaching uh, next Sunday, a week on Sunday, what does your week look like in terms of the sermon preparation and the detail of that? Well, Jesus said, the scribe of the kingdom brings out something old and something new. So if I'm doing stuff I've done before, I basically backslide the whole week and just work on myself. <laughs> I don't quite do that, but it makes a huge difference if you've done stuff before, whether you're preparing new material. So if I'm preparing new material, I mean, I could spend the whole week doing it. But then I could live off that in many different contexts. So the way I work is I tend to have binges of preparation where I'm, you know, reading stuff, preparing it, and out of that will come a number of teaching sessions. Um, and, of course, my computer knows much more than I do. It never forgets anything, so they're all there. Um, so nowadays, I don't generally have to prepare a particular sermon for a particular Sunday out of the top of a hat. It's somewhere in my store. But that's, So you ask me how I do it. I think I'm probably different from most people because I'm a kind of a timid teacher. Um, so I think the real answer to that question needs to be answered by somebody else here. Who's going to help? I was going to ask another question. The older guys, come on. The seasoned uh, John, John can help. You've got to prepare a sermon for Sunday. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you spend your week? Well, I first of all plan it, uh, and so I put appointments with myself, preparing a talk. Uh, for a sermon, I've probably scheduled in 15 hours. I might have scheduled more than that. If it's an important talk, might be way higher than that. And so I'll have two and a half hour slots. Now, so basically, I'm fitting around staff meetings and different things. Into the evenings, different times. And of course, planning never goes, the actual life doesn't work out according to the plan. It's fairly accurate, and I then just record it as I go in my computer. Um, I may sometimes base a series on somebody else. I've discovered it doesn't save me any time, because I can still spend 15 hours on one of Rich Nathan's sermons to find <laughs> contextualize it, own it, understand it profoundly, because you can only communicate simply what you understand profoundly, otherwise you sound like an echo trying to read somebody else's notes. So uh, I've all recently started doing much more of my own stuff. So I'll read, I'll look on the internet um, at what other people have said about it. You can Google actually the subject or you can listen to an individual. What does David Parker say about that? Other people publishing themselves online, which is helpful. Uh, I'll read, if I've, if I've located the text, I'll read it, all the commentaries I have on it, which may be as few as one, or as many as six. Um, and work out which one I agree with. It's really disappointing when they all disagree with me because I <laughs> wanted that text to say what I wanted it to say. But the problem is that biblical scholars don't recognise the wisdom that I have. <laughs> so he keeps finding more and more commentaries until he finds one that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. at risk of Jesus, you've got to exegete what's in the text, not be plant upon it and use it as a coherent theme that you want to bring. Um, so I read all those commentaries. There may be books as well that I would read. Um, and then I start preparing the structure, filling it in. 
I'm hopelessly bad at thinking of illustrations. So invariably I finish at about 10 o'clock on Saturday night still without those illustrations properly in there. So I then get told off on Sunday lunchtime by my wife for being boring because I don't get around to it. So if I could grow anywhere, that would be particularly where I would grow, is bringing it to life and bringing the windows in there. Because I'm quite, um, I'm wired a bit like Wayne Rudin. I did actually once say, having read that book, not the whole thing, but if I could take two books to a desert island for a year, I would take the Bible and systematic theology. Because I love facts and learning that way. Yeah, you're so a modernist. Yeah. You and I are the same. We're both modernists. Exactly. I'm trying to to <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask a question of you both? Um, some, of the, some of the people here in the room and those listening are bivocational, uh, working full-time job, and the, the privilege and the challenge of preparation is contained to two evenings or mm. just juggling it. What, what advice, how would you kind of tailor that advice to people in that situation? Raise up other preachers and share them a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I was just with um, David um, um, Flowers, and he's got a preaching team of about seven or eight, and uh, they all preach, and and I, I really think that's a, that's a great plan. I just wanted to say a bit of a commercial. We do have two courses called Homiletics 1 and Homiletics 2 that are dedicated to the whole thing of the process, just what John's gone through, the process of preparation, illustration, <coughs> yeah, do you want to do you want to start with that, John? Uh, you've been by the case yeah. for a short of time. I think um, raise up other people. We <coughs> don't have to reinvent the wheel from scratch every time. Your job is to serve warmly baked fresh bread. And if someone else has already done the ready mix for you, <laughs> as long as you can own it, yeah, really own it, it's it probably is a lot less work. If you're a perfectionist, I mean, you actually still spend 15 hours on rich making, but you might want to spend four hours if you can understand it. It's going to be good quality and it'll help you understand the direction of the And so you train yourself. I only preach 50 or 60% of the time. That's deliberate because if I did it every week, I'd not be very good. So to up the quality, I reduce the number. Um, and also, don't be tempted just to use old sermons because you can't afford to do the work. What shall I do? Having said that, don't be afraid to use something that's four or five years old because the vast majority will not recognize it you've ever before. The thing they'll recognize is that one story you popped into it, the illustration. Mm. Yeah. So if you can change the illustration, especially <laughs> if you can do it at all, four or five years later, as no one yeah. will know, probably you don't Now, another answer to this question, which is not either or is strangely uh, doing a book study is less work than finding a new topic every Sunday. And I'm going to refer to it. I did a session um, at uh, the Wharfdale Vineyard on um, doing a a book of the Bible or the subject, the theme of the Bible, as a community exercise. And that, I think, is less work because if you... Basically, what what, what I suggest is that the Sunday sermon, the small groups, and the virtual church, all your media, and maybe some VOIP discussion groups, all work through, in a given time, a book of the Bible. And then part of your Sunday morning is having the verbal feedback from that journey during the week, um, because that adds interaction. And you also, you could be, 
let's say the main preacher is going to preach it. If, if it's a book that VBI has does, done stuff on, you give your angle. During the week, they've also got the MP3s or the PowerPoints or whatever of the VBI angle and the booklets, and you can get them to do some, a few people, some extra reading around it. So you've got your whole community doing like a kind of project, and you're, you're the king who just makes everybody revolve around you. Well, that, I mean, I know it needs planning, but then for eight weeks, you know what you're going to do. Uh, maybe there's a lot of work up front, but then it just kind of runs. It's one of the ways to, to reduce things as a five location. And certainly doing series saves time, whatever yeah. the series, because yeah. uh, often when I used to preach in South of I would be spending hours trying to figure out what I was going to preach on. Whereas if you're doing series and you know what you're talking about, you're straight into the yeah. And your preparation for the one is, is, is setting you up for the next one, yeah. kind of rolls you forward. Well, that was one major question. Oh. There's a lot coming from this angle here. Yeah, well, I, I haven't contributed on this subject. I, I want to ask something totally different. You refer to the church being a kind of prophetic um, eschatological community. Um, so if I'm understanding you right, on, you see, from, coming from a sort of charismatic background, people assume, oh, yeah, we come together as a church and the gift of prophecy is at work. But I think you're also saying the church itself the gathering of the church is is a prophetic Indeed. community that says something about the way we, we live as kingdom people. Um, and so how does that relate to the kind of very postmodern option of people who don't believe in, we don't need to gather, we don't need to, we can just listen to downloads. I can be a Christian, I can do really good things in my business or whatever, but I don't have to. Do you think they're opting out of... Just to, to put it into the postmodern thing, that is modernism rather than postmodernism. Modernism is, you know, the whole modern technological consumerist society, science and all of that, which the postmodernists critique as being a meaningless, image-driven, vacuous, consumerist society. And uh, the emerging guys are saying, community, community, community. People want a, a human being that they can touch and feel and they can belong. And they're saying they're not so into a perfect production. They're not so into mega churches. They want community. So, um, and reality. And, and it must have integrity. That's what they're looking for. So I don't know that we have to fear that. Because I think the mood is taking care of it. By the fact that the modernist thing creates a gigantic vacuum of meaning. You know? yeah. Maybe it's generational too. Maybe we're going to find today's teenagers and 20s will naturally be community people more than the generation that was sort of really into the typical consumerist-driven society. I, I, that doesn't answer everything you've raised. Though. No, no, it, it's just fascinating because I think maybe ten years ago when the whole um, conversation, arguments, people acting out, deconstructing, in amongst the deconstructionists were probably just some rebellious modernists who were not postmodern at all. And we are saying, no, the gathered church, there's a, the reality of the community, this is, we actually get to play out what God wants for his people. We act, we, even if we don't do it well, we're 
trying to live out what, what will be. Yes. Um, and so even as we gather, whether we ever prophesy something like about something that's going to come true or not tomorrow, we're living out the, you know, the reality of what it means to be God's people when God actually rules and reigns in fullness um, in the way that everybody will, will know one day. Have you seen this book? No. This is a major book, Weber. The Younger Evangelicals. And he goes through exactly what you're talking about. I found this the most one-volume comprehensive thing about the change uh, to the new, the new evangelical who's, who's in dialogue with postmodern. And who's, who's what? Sorry, oh, standing on your feet. Um, and, uh, but back to the prophetic community thing. Is it right? A Weber. Rob. Weber. 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 What's the title again? The Younger, the younger Evangelicals. Um, you know, uh, it's important to say that just as, let's say the arrowhead of Jesus coming with the kingdom was signs and wonders in the literal sense of healings, that the church is a sign and a wonder in his plan. The very fact that we are this alternative community that is the new humanity that is, is you know, a Babel reversing Pentecost. That's the two, the two worlds in collision with each other, the disintegrated, fragmented, divided world, and this new world that we are. So, maybe what the lesson is, is that we need to um, teach more clearly the eschatological prophetic nature of the church. In answer to what you're saying, Debbie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and if you're interested, I did a talk at... Um, the missions conference in Colorado Springs, which I think is on our website, on the whole thing of the church as an eschatological community, community in terms of missions. On the South Africa, which, which website? VBI website. Um, I think it's on. The, it's it's in the wiki under helpful stuff. I put it there. It's a free download. Um, it's one of the drums I'm hitting right now as I go around because of this postmodern thing has got me thinking. Therefore, we must really, and you know, it's it's Bert Wagoner's thing too. Yeah. yeah. Well, what we said about postmodernists is true. How long do you think I'll continue to tolerate the Thursday dialogue or the Fortnight dialogue, the dialogue that comes along Sunday morning in the form of the, the sermon? Do you think I'll just start moving with their feet? Uh, what we assume to be a you know a modern model in terms of block worship in a sermon, do you think that's going to carry for the future? Or I'm not sure that it will. Um, these thoughts I've had about community learning I think if we're going to read the science we're going to start doing more community learning which is not so much the lecture model which is really a Greek model you think of Jesus he had a completely different model so we've got a lot of thinking to do Um, but I don't know if the one world will suddenly be born and the other one will die there will still be churches. I mean, it's strange. Mars Hill. He doesn't preach short. And in a way, he's a big teaching center. So you can't... Some of these straight-jacket either-ors don't fit. It's context. It's the gift of the person. And imagine Rich Nathan having to speak for 10 minutes if he's something with. You know, it wouldn't work. But, but then the rest of us trying to do a Rich Nathan every Sunday morning, maybe that's the problem. But I do think, overall, within all those little provisos, 
uh, learning in community through action, through all of these other ways, is what we both start thinking about. In terms of raising up new preachers and teaching them, um, obviously they take through this material that you've been through and expanding that and so on and so forth, and double communication. Um, what about them? Uh, how will we best assess them? Um, you know, uh, once they've done the preaching, what would be the most positive way of feeding back to them in terms of what elements, in terms of you know, how well they've done? I mean, one thought I have is Tim, if we can have venues prior to the Sunday sermon where they can learn, it's a really good idea. Because otherwise it can be a very crushing thing. They get led out into, you know, to do this thing once. And if they do it badly, they need inner healing for the next year or something. Um, so I'm not sure that the first time they get feedback should be when they've preached it and then when you, you know, on the holy hour. Yeah, no, I, was, I was thinking of what the nature of the feedback, so the yeah. content preparation, theology, yeah. presentation. Well, I mean, the, the people will give the feedback to uh, Did they get it? That's, that's one of the things. Yeah, sure. um, I suppose... I would use some of the criteria that I went through this morning as tick boxes. You know, um, uh, did it have structure? Maybe I'm prejudiced, but the most difficult preachers for me to listen to are the ones where I don't know where they go, where they've come from. And um, the sense of structure, we know, we know where we are, you've told us what you're going to be doing, you're doing it, you did it. <laughs> Um, of all the criteria, that's one of the ones that is most frequently infringed upon and disqualifies most people. I'm just thinking like some of the guys we've had. We eventually had one associate passed away. If the people knew he was preaching on a Sunday, they'd stay at home. And eventually we had to say, this is not working. But he was so good at everything else. And really the analysis was, it was woolly. It was kind of you didn't have a clear journey. That's one of the major criteria for me. Um, but then, you know, it also depends on whether the person is more of a teaching teacher or more of an exhorter. There are some people who don't have any structure, but by the time they're finished, everybody's like <laughs> ready to go. Uh, so the delivered impression still is the, is the main the main thing if it's the people will vote with their feet um, yeah I, have not, I haven't thought through a, a kind of um, uh, criteria list when we do the people in our degree program who have to do presentations I have a set of criteria the one is uh, did they grasp the content was there clear content another criterion was did it feel like they prepared well The other thing is the communication methods they've used. Whatever media they used, did it really help illustrate uh, the, the content? And another criterion is originality and yeah, creativity. That they not only reproduce some biblical truth, but was it really their personality came through, their own style and stories, 
stuff like that. Because you don't want to bury people in a straitjacket that doesn't give them themselves coming through. Um, and then, I mean, another thing is body language. It can kill some people off as preachers. You know, um, if they stare at the floor or um, like one guy kept bringing his hands. And nobody could listen to him after the first bite. They're all feeling so sorry for his hands, you know. It's like, <laughs> so then we told him to put his hands in his pocket, and then his feet kept dancing. Because the energy had to go somewhere. And so, I mean, eventually, you know, that sort of whole thing of, of your posture. Um, another criterion he uses is flows and breaks. If they just go like a machine gun all the way through, by the end, everybody's exhausted. Um, and that ability to stop and in a way it's like the equivalent of a person skipping to another channel on the TV they're still watching the same TV screen but they the concentration break has broken for a while and um, you know good speakers do that in many different ways some, some it's a joke it has nothing to do with the content everybody takes a mental break and they're in a game or whatever so flows and breaks is another, is another really important one I don't know yeah, that's I'm sure you can think yeah, that's of that. Yeah. Time manager, how we how we do? <laughs> great. Yeah. Great. Uh, another question? Just one about the balance between um, kind of getting the word of the Lord prophetically driven mm. and the need to make sure you get a balanced diet. Um, when you think about the year, how do you hold those two in tension? Well, I mean, a thing that I've, I've tended to do, <coughs> I've been act- actively pastoring for about seven years, but it worked well when I did, is have an annual retreat with the key leaders where we review the previous year and we pray and we say, God, what is your spiritual diet for the next year. Where do you want to take this church? And often we will, prior to that, well, I used to, have a period where all the home groups and all the small group leaders, you know what, what you would call your, um, like, third tier of leadership. Everybody that leads anything. Get them involved in a review of how did we do this year with our goals and stuff, and what do you think God wants to do next year? Not that it has to be democratic, but to let them speak and then let the, the staff speak and obviously the visionary leader of the church is, is significant and generally one comes out with some sort of broad outline of the next 12 months where God is with this church and I think that's a very helpful overall getting the word of the Lord um, that then fits in with the smaller sections of that uh, would you have anything else like generally, you know, you want to cover a few weeks on sort of like typical giving, serving type yeah. stuff, some Old Testament, New Testament? Is that sort of another grid that would naturally be there intuitively? And and I think you can't do endless expository preaching. Although, I mean, there's some people who do that. But, but to do like one or two books a year, biblical books, to me seems like a very sensible idea. It builds a tradition in the church too that people know. This kind of, but especially now, if we can do it more as a community project, um, I think that's that's really good. Isn't there normally also a time of the year where we we focus on things like 
um, the, the giving, the, the goals, the projects we want to launch. Uh, that's another season, isn't it? Where you can't do it all. You can't do more than one thing in a church, really, in terms of the thing that's giving attention. So, I think. Uh, All right, should I, should I try and give you another dose? You're all yeah. digesting your lunches. <laughs> and, uh, can we um, turn this thing on again? <laughs>